We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Sherry Ann Thomas, who's the co-founder and CEO of Octopus Interactive. Let's jump in and get to know Sherry Ann. Sherry Ann, welcome. How are you, man? What is happening, Carell and Eric? Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Man, we're super thrilled you're hanging out with us and can't wait to learn a whole lot more about you. But first, tell us a little bit about Octopus Interactive. Tell us what's going on these days and and, and tell us about the interesting problems that you solve and and how you help folks. Yeah, sure. So those of you who don't know, Octopus Interactive is an interactive advertising network inside of Uber and Lyft vehicles. So we innovate the rideshare experience. So if you catch an Uber, you might catch one of our Octopus Interactive screens. You get to play games like trivia and photo hunt to win money and prizes. And then because we have the vehicle location and we have the attention of the rider, we're able to deliver location-based interactive video ads or branded games, A, to a captive audience, B, to an engaged audience. And and quite frankly, to this hard-to-reach, on-the-go, 18 to 49 audience, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the back of the book nutshell of, of what we do. But got an awesome team that eats, breathes, lives, sleeps, and swims octopus. And we're excited <laughs> to share a little bit more about the company as, as the pod continues. Love that. And want to learn so much more. I mean, it sounds like there's so much still to come for Octopus. And I'd love to explore that in a little bit. But can you tell us and our audience a little bit about you? Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? And where were you raised? Yeah, sure. So let's let's take a journey here. So I was actually originally born in England. I grew up there until my family's from India. I was born in England in the UK, lived there until I was about seven years old. Then moved from there to mm. Chicago, then the southwest suburbs of Chicago, actually called Darien. So believe it or not, I was Charian from Darien for a good Wow. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Had, had that going for me. And then my wife is actually from the uh, DC, Maryland area. And so Ooh. we moved out this way. So we, my wife, Katie, my two kiddos, my dog, and my eight fish. <laughs> and I'm coming to you live from our headquarters here in Maryland as well. So a little bit of backstory there, but it's been an, a great journey. I miss the Midwest. I miss Chicago. Mm. I feel like people you know, wake up and take a happy pill in the Midwest every day. Yeah. So every excuse I can get, we travel out that way because my, my parents are there. My brothers are there. So your family is all still out there. They are. Yes. Oh, great. We, we took the Charian out of Darien, but we kept the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cherian, um, tell us a little bit about your family. Tell us about like your parents and where do they come from? Yeah, so my my parents are kind of first generation. They they moved here in the '90s, so you know they saw Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Dennis Rodman, Coop Coach, and they're like, "We got to get to Chicago." <laughs> <laughs> um, but they certainly are not from the ad tech world by any means. So this is like a foreign language for them. Mm-hmm. They're actually both in the medical field and they grinded in, in India. They went to England to do their residencies and work there. And then for a better opportunity, they made a huge sacrifice and you know moved over here to the US. And we lived in a three, I should say two bedroom apartment with my parents and my two older siblings. So 
You take three boys, put them in a one-bedroom bunk bed with a twin, and, and you're going to get some WWE wrestling That's moments. right. <laughs> I know those moments, but I will say I came out victorious most of the time. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let, let you tell the story, Eric. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We don't get to interview my, my, my siblings, no. Yeah. Are, but, you, uh, are you the caboose? Are you the oldest? Or? I'm the oldest. The yeah, oldest. so, yeah. yeah. I'm the youngest, right? Oh. So I was always the, hey, you know, let's stack up all these mattresses. <laughs> who who should jump first? Well, Jerry, you're the... Right. <laughs> so, I always wonder about our apartments, like why the neighbors upstairs and downstairs didn't complain more about right? us. <laughs> I, like, I actually agree with you. I question the same thing. I yeah. think apartments and homes were just built better back then. <laughs> That's it. Right. Real like real center block, real brick. Real you, know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. you know, it's interesting that you describe or just you just told us about your family journey. And, and so many of our guests talk about that huge sacrifice that their families made. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you learned as a result of your parents making those sacrifices. What what did you learn, sharing from from that? Yeah, think. look, I mean, I'm I'm from India, from southern India, Kerala, right? This is a culture where you used to arrange marriages, your you know job and your profession is decided usually by your parents, right? And you're going to be a doctor, right? You're you know going to go into software engineering, you're going to be an accountant, and like that's all kind of that path is chosen for you in a way, at least historically. Mm. And I would say myself and my two older brothers took the path less traveled, right? Where our parents allowed us to to pursue what we actually wanted to do. And for that, I think we have myself and my two older brothers who are just very happy, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing what we love. We're married to who we love. We're doing what we love. It's the choices that we made. And I think that's had a big impact. And so, you know, it's one of those things that's been kind of a shock to the culture system, mm-hmm. right? If you think about kind of our path, because I have several cousins and family members who had arranged marriages or just went the medical path and just stayed on even though they love to draw or even though they love to cook, they're doing something that uh, that was based on a track that they were put in versus the driver's seat, that the, the car and the track that they wanted to be. Thanks for your insights there. It's really interesting. You know, I, I want to ask you about how you got you know into your career path. And, and I know Georgetown's a big part of the mix. And sort of <laughs> tell us a little bit how you got started down your path. Well, I'm definitely a technology enthusiast. You know, my passion is really biz dev and sales and starting something, right? Trying to find out business models that make sense. Mm. Where is there a need and how can we fill that gap? And I had an experience. I've been working for a long period of time. Before I could legally work, I think my parents signed like a a document that allowed me to be a bus boy at at an illegal age. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Sign this paper. Yeah. So (laughs) even actually before that, it was like, you know, babysitting. All right. Well, you learn a little bit there. Then Mm. I was always buying. You know, I'd buy a, a mini bike, uh, then sell it. And then I'd use that money to buy a go-kart. And then I'd sell it for more. And I'd use that to buy, you know, a bigger bike, a motorcycle. And like kind of constantly always in this buying and selling kind of habit. And my track, as I mentioned before, was, you know, my parents always wanted us to go into medicine, right? And so that was the path. But when I was in college, I actually had an amazing experience working for a company called Illinois Energy. I was an advertising director. I was a Tin Man. For any of you who've seen the, the movie Tin Men, and I was able to really just learn. Hi, nice to meet you. One time closing on someone else's turf. Hi, nice to meet you. Two hours later, walking out with several thousands of dollars and getting a taste of what it's like to, you know, have a value exchange, provide a service, sign contracts, and really do that sales cycle. 
And those lessons, I think I'll always say that that was part of what made me who I am today because, you know, I was 17, 18, 19, and everyone else that did what I did was 50, you know, 55, doing this to put food on the table for their kids. So had an opportunity to get into like the sales world and the advertising world very early. And that kind of gave me the confidence to walk into a room and, and stick my hand out and, and ask for your business because I'd done it a bunch of times before I was able to have my own alcoholic drink, right? right. So, <laughs> so that gave a lot of confidence. I certainly uh, owe a lot of respect to Dave and, and Brian, who are my mentors there. And then when I was in college, kind of choosing my path of where I was going to go, there was kind of two decisions. One was go the corporate route, right? And go out there and, and you know, go through the Unilever you know, type of route with some family connections there. And that would have been great. Or I had an opportunity to work for a family business, right? Where I was able to learn from a family friend who was a, a big paper tycoon in the industry of pulp and paper manufacturing mills. Chose that because you know you could always go back on course to the corporate world, but you're never going to learn the ins and outs of how a business works better than a family business. Mm-hmm. And so was able to work you know, closely with the CEO of the company, right-hand man, whether we're meeting with banks or we're flying across the country, whether we're buying parts, selling parts, starting new machines. And that was a family friend that now today is actually my father. So I spent a lot of time with him, learning from him. And there's something to be said about people who have been there and done that and experienced. Yeah. And I was just able to absorb like a sponge, how he interacted and how he in that world. So you chose to work with your future father-in-law because of the business, not because you wanted to date his daughter. Is that what you're to... <laughs> that's that's volume. That's volume two. In the... Volume two. That's right. <laughs> well, we'll have to get my wife Katie in to make sure that uh, our story. Yeah, matches. yeah, the story matches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was actually serendipitous because I won't get into the details. But you know, we had met in Chicago, and then these paths ended up ironically crossing. So. So that was interesting. And then you mentioned Georgetown. So while, you know, while I was working, I always felt that experience, right? Because having worked from busboy to server to, you know, bartender to app director to working for family businesses and so forth, I always felt that work experience is number one. You have to know what's going on in the real world because you can only learn so much from a book, right? But, you know, I was the youngest guy in the room all the time. Every single meeting, from the age of 17, as always the young guy, right? And I always notice that you got to earn respect. You got to get your respect. And that's either done by closing deals and being the best performer. Now it's like, you got to listen to me because I just, you know, I, I close more business than any of you. So I might be young, but listen. The other way is education. And so always wanted to get the experience. So, you know, you can, you can flex in the room on like, look, I'm doing what you're doing and I'm doing it at equal or higher performance. But by the way, I have some you know, education back to back this. And so while working a full time, I did my MBA. After that, I did another master's at Georgetown. And now I was able to, to walk into a room with experience, two master's degrees. And now, even though I was 20, 30 years older, younger than everyone, there was a couple notches on my belt, right? And so that gave a little bit of cred. So I think I always recommend that path, which is Work as much as you can, get as much experience as you can. And before you have a wife, a mortgage, and kids, get get as much education as you can and start as many businesses as you can because it is way harder when you got Legos getting thrown at your forehead when you're trying to put together a (laughs) casino. But hopefully that's a little bit of context and 
the moral story there is certainly wanted to make sure that I pursued both my professional experience and layered education on top of that. Appreciate you uh, detailing that out. And and you mentioned you've started a couple of businesses now, right? And would love to understand from your perspective, what do you love about launching new businesses, being a co-founder? Mm-hmm. So I think it's the ground floor that's the most exciting, right? Because when you're starting a new idea, it's a lot of people putting faith and trust in you, yourself, and the idea. And that starts with finding a co-founder. So I think the first thing you need to do is be able to show that this is a solid enough business or an opportunity to convince someone else to quit their job and and say, all right, let's do this crazy mission together. And there's a high out of that for both parties. And you know, nothing risks, nothing gained, right? So there's a huge amount of risk, huge amount of adrenaline, a lot of pressure. And so I certainly live off of that adrenaline in the early stages. I think that's not made for everyone. And that's really exciting about starting something because you're taking a leap of faith and people are putting trust and faith in you. It starts with the co-founder. Then it leads to, you know, your first employee believing in the founder's mission, right? Mm-hmm. And vision. Then it leads to, you know, investors uh, believing in your mission, right? So there's a lot of confidence and trust that's put in your hands. And I would say that that's one thing that I can appreciate is people believing in Brad and I, uh, our co-founder, Brad, all stakeholders, right? Our, our wives <laughs> who say like, you know what? We, we believe in you guys. Go out there, sacrifice the big paychecks for something you guys believe in. Our families, right? Because you can't make it to every soccer practice and so forth because you're making these sacrifices. Employees, right? Who a lot of employees here could be doing other things. They know that. We know that. But there's a reason why they're here. And I'd like to think part of that is is Brad and I and, and our vision and our mission and, and our collaborative effort. And then this isn't funny money. People are are putting faith and trust in you in the forms of lots of zeros. And with that comes A, a responsibility and B, excitement, thrill, and a wanting to win and a wanting to give people the R in the ROI, which is extremely satisfying for all stakeholders there. But definitely like the beginning phase and Brad, our co-founder, he's just an operationally a beast, right? Like I've, I've never met anyone who could manage this many gears moving at the, these speeds at the same time. And he is definitely, you know, a huge part of how we're able to propel from small to medium, medium to large, large to massive, right? And yeah, it, it definitely takes him and, and the team to do so. Yeah. And, and you mentioned people being excited to work at the company, being excited to follow your leadership and be a part of something that you're building there. Eric and I often talk about company culture and how important building a great culture that people want to be a part of in an organization. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts as it relates to you know building a, a solid company culture? Yeah, I think... It's probably the glue that keeps all of us here because it's not about how much money can I make. It's about what am I going to work to accomplish today? And do I like doing this with the person to the left of me, the right of me, the left Zoom box of me, the above Zoom box of of me? And so I think that that cultural aspect is, is really important. You see that even during the pandemic, right? People realize what am I doing here, right? You got a lot of people who are commuting into New York, miserable on a train and planes all day. And they realize like, I just want to do something that's that's fun and that A, excites me and B, I'm good at. So we want to get a whole bunch of folks who could be the CEO of their own position. We want to hire A players that are better at doing a particular function than, than we are. 
And then Brad and I have to really merge that together and, and let all the arms of the octopus kind of move in sync and work in sync. But you get that by everyone having respect for each other's talents mm. and creating a collaborative environment where everyone understands that it's not the sales guy that got the deal who gets the credit or guy or girl. A lot of people were involved to make that happen, right? Yeah. So let's celebrate all these wins together and let's make sure we give credit where credit's due. And it's usually the, a collaborative credit versus an individual. And look, we joked before the, the pod went live, but you know, Cato lunches on Tuesdays. We have a ping pong tournament here on Thursday for like a trophy and all and all that stuff going on this Thursday. <laughs> so, you know, there's Nerf guns, there's dogs, there's kegerators, there's shuffleboard, you know. There are things here if you want to have fun, but I think what where people have fun is actually doing something that is meaningful, impactful, and rewarding. And those other things I just mentioned are are just fillers, right? To fill up some of the time if you have a moment, you know, go play NBA Jam. But no one comes here to play NBA Jam, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So I, mean, I want to ask you, Sharon, about some other moments in in your career or just in life, really. You're deep in ad tech, you're deep in tech, and you know, not everybody sort of looks like us, you know. And then sometimes you run into moments where not everybody sort of treats you in the right way. Can you talk to us a little bit about some experiences that you may have had when faced with issues of discrimination? Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those moments and then how you overcame them? Yeah, I, I want to give you the answer that you you want and maybe your listeners want, but but truthfully. I think sometimes it actually might have worked in my advantage, right? I'm an Indian tech guy who's energetic with a good, decent educational background and asking folks to put trust and faith in me in this ad tech business, right? So I think sometimes, you know, the color of your skin can also work to your advantage. And we always talk about discrimination and things overcoming, but in just to kind of play the other side of the coin, I think there are times where maybe it's been helpful. Uh, Maybe I didn't know it, but. I did feel it sometimes, right? And yeah. so I don't have the, oh, there was this time that I you know, was deeply discriminated against. If I was, I ignore it and just move forward. And it's almost like uh, I don't even let those things impact me at all mm-hmm. and try to be as positive as can be. And so some might call it ignorant, like maybe it was blatant and maybe I noticed it, but outside of you know, maybe being made fun of because I was Indian with a British accent and I came here and I was eight or nine years old as, as a very, very young person. That was maybe the only time that I've, I've experienced something that I can I can say that that impacted me, right? So sorry, I can't give you kind of the, the answer maybe that you and your listeners are looking for, but I do encourage folks to think about, you know, some of the good that comes with it as well, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so, yes, you know, we are a minority if you look at the VC world, the ad tech world, you look at you know the entrepreneur world, yes, we are certainly a minority. But I kind of look at the, the positive to it and say, maybe that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Let, let me be different. I want to be different than every other person that came in here like a cookie cutter. So game on, let's roll. I want to take a path that, some, that everyone else didn't take, right? There's like a power in moving on and not even letting it affect you, right? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so... Just like the saying goes, you know, when you're working on something, fail fast, move on, learn from it. It's probably the fastest reflex that ever occurred to me on like, it's like, move on, let's, let's rock and roll. That's like beside the point. We're talking about the business here, right? We're, yeah. we're talking about moving the ball forward. Just something to be mindful of is that there are times where maybe it could be a pro 
to not look like everyone else. And I've always uh, valued that. I have a name, Charian. I never ever see Charian in a Zoom box. You know, some people might make fun of it and say, what a stupid name. I look at it and go, you know what? Maybe you'll remember that name because there's a lot of Mikes and Dans and Daves I met today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so how, how can you kind of play it to work for you rather than against you? That's great. Thank you for telling us your personal experience. That's awesome. You, you mentioned some folks that were kind of mentors and folks that like helped you along the way. Sounds like Brad might even be one of them too, right? So, but can you tell us about some folks who have been helpful to you in your career early on and even today? Yeah, I would say first, just going back to kind of those like first sales jobs I ever had, there is no better way to, to kind of earn your stripes than cold calling, telemarketing. You guys yeah. remember that, you know, like cold calling, telemarketing. And I'll never forget kind of the, the owners of the company that I worked at who put faith and trust in me and said, look, you're 17 years old, go ahead and be one of nine advertising directors who are all double your age, right? So whether they realize it or not, they were certainly putting a a chip of confidence on, on my shoulder to say, you got this, we believe in you. And they didn't manage or lead me or mentor me like I was someone different. They treated you just like everyone else, right? And so I think that has a lot of value on that front. So certainly give a lot of credit to my early sales career to um, the folks over at Illinois Energy. Then also just working with my father-in-law, it's tough. Anybody who's worked for a family business, is it's really challenging because you don't stop. It's not 9 to 5 by any means, right? The conversations continue beyond the boardroom, beyond the living room, beyond the dinner table. It's 24-7, 7 days a week. And really just just learn a lot about work ethic right and it's like if you want to get it done you have to do it yourself and you can't rely on other folks if you want your vision to be out there sometimes you got to put pen to paper and just prove that you're willing to get into the trenches so a lot of just leading by example they call it kind of player coach right like get in there <laughs> give me give me the ball and then let me also lead you as well because i am willing to take the ball i'm willing to pass the ball learned a lot from him and you nailed it. I'm I'm learning every day from Brad. I hope he would say the same thing about me. But I always kind of give this example on, you know, when you look at a co-founder, you kind of want to look at a Venn diagram. And we are very opposite, right? You've got myself here, you've got Brad on the other circle. But where we are common is the middle, where our core values, our morals, our compass, right? Doing the right thing when no one's looking like that. That is where we share every every similarity, right? And in, in the book, so I think it's great to find mentors that compliment you, and find co-founders that compliment you. And I'm learning every single day from Brad, from our team. As I mentioned, we hire people that are smarter than us, so I'm constantly being mentored yeah. by the people <laughs> that we work with every single day. Awesome. And Tyrion, earlier you touched on your family a little bit. And Eric and I love to ask this question on the podcast to get folks' opinion on work-life balance. And is there there such a thing as work-life balance when you're super busy running a, a company, but obviously have personal responsibilities as well, too? So curious to get your thoughts on work-life balance. How are you managing it? Is there such a thing? Yeah, I guess my pro tip is two things. It's a deep question. One, it has been challenging, especially as you merge the Zoom world with the physical world. Because if you have physical meetings plus Zoom meetings, they're very different. In an in-person 3D meeting, right? you can start closing your laptop, 
you know, winding up your iPhone charger and to give some like <laughs> body language clues that like we should wrap this up. And that's challenging to do in, in a Zoom world. But my point here is that I actually think there is, and it's a technology, it's like embracing technology. And one of the things that we've done is, or, or I should say I've done is we created a Play Octopus account for my wife. She has access to the team calendar. She knows my calendar, right? She knows in, ins and outs of every meeting, what's happening, right? On top of that, she's able to go in and say, hold for Charian, hold for whatever it may be. Some people think that's crazy, but like it's the best decision ever because if it's important, my team understands that like this must be important because you know Charian's wife is putting a hold on the calendar. So, so please don't put a meeting during that time for, for mm-hmm. him. I don't know how many other people do that, but it has been a huge unlock for the Thomas family and the work-life balance because you can literally put holds on there for making sure that important things in life you know, your kid's graduation, first soccer practice, swim lessons, riding a bike. Like, I'm not missing that stuff. That We weren't put on this planet to build octopus, right? <laughs> there are other things. And you have to make sure that you give time to, to family. And we encourage that for our entire team here. As I mentioned before, I guess before the pod, where, mm. you know, you've got unlimited PTO, you know, you can work remote, whatever it may be. We welcome your mind being good, your your family being good. And you can't be good at what you do if you go home and, and your spouse is angry with you, right? So yeah. well, you, you have to have that that balance. I, I, I love I love your calendar idea there. No, seriously. I mean, 104 episodes deep into this podcast, that's the first time we've heard it. And I think it's a really good and smart idea. You know what? That's the pro tip for everyone else uh, listening to this. It's it's a little bit weird at first. You know, you're my wife up to get creative and like, you know, what's the name of the meeting if she needs to be somewhere sometimes. But, uh, but a simple hold for Katie will suffice. And, and you have to respect that from folks. You know, there's there's things, again, there's things that are more important than what we're doing in ad tech. And uh, I hope everyone out there understands that. And when you can merge the two and you're equally excited to get to work as you are to get home and hug your kids, that's where magic happens. And that's, that's where I'm at and we're at as a company here. Great, great words, which leads me to a question really about sort of inspiration. Where are you drawing inspiration from these <laughs> days? Like, where are you tapping into to find inspiration? YouTube's algorithms. Yeah, there we go. All right, enough said. <laughs> Done. There it is. <laughs> yeah, look, as I mentioned before, you know, you can't be good at what you do unless you know everything and anything about it. So we're always learning. I try to go for a run and work out every day. And I'm doing that for more to learn something new. Like I committed to learn something new every single day. So an hour of just what can you learn and things bother me, right? So whether it's, you know, new components of shoppable ads or certain programmatic plays or addressable TV, like you want to know everything and anything about it. So I think that's what inspires me. And then our brands, our clients, right? If we sign a client, I am dissecting that business inside and out. I want to learn everything about you, who is your customer? How do you currently acquire customers? What's the CAC cost? What's the LTV? What are your competitors like? That is super motivating because we are working on behalf of our clients, right? We want to make sure that we perform for them. And so we take the extra mile and the extra step to say, we're going to, we're going to learn your business inside and out before our meeting, during our meeting, after your customer, and we're going to innovate together. So between keeping up to speed with the ever-changing ad tech ecosystem, no IDFA, no third-party cookies, right? 
flock what's happening with google like there is a lot to make sure that we're up to speed on and then you layer in you know your own willingness and wanting to kind of further your own knowledge of learning something new combined with clients and knowing our customers inside and out there's no shortage of what we need to learn today <laughs> by by any means all right fun question i love asking every guest that we have on the podcast which is to Give us the top three apps on your phone that you use, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Wow. All right. Gave one away, which was YouTube, right? Anything you want to learn on this planet, it is out there on YouTube, right? <laughs> true. It is, it, yeah, is, true. it is there. And so I always... Yeah, I just learned how to dig a pool out of a clay backyard and make a whole pool if I just have a right. shovel. <laughs> it's it's absolutely incredible. And I always say like, it, if you look for it up, and I'm also like an audio video learner, right? And then I'll layer in reading on top of it. But if you just want to quickly digest information, you know, I think YouTube is is definitely a number one. Number two is I'm a, I'm an avid eBayer, right? So I am like the eBay commander, meaning if you can't find something, come to Cherry and I will find that for you in the eBay. <laughs> I know how to search. I know the filters and I also enjoy finding things that not everyone else has. So half my clothes I'm wearing and shoes are all from eBay. <laughs> so, you know, I think eBay comes in at number two. And then, all right, you guys are going to make fun of me here, but probably, probably. I have a lot of loyalty, <laughs> but there was a, uh, there's a website called eBombs World. I don't know if you're familiar from back in the day. OG site. So, so, so OG. <laughs> like, and I think I've had this like just loyalty to them for so long. So I got to throw that in just to be honest. I know I people are like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe it. Someone in my company is like, did you really just say? It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. And shouts to OG sites like that. Loyal, loyal audiences. We learned a lot, Jerry, and thanks for sharing a little bit about who you are and, and also a lot about Octopus and all the great things you're doing there. You talked about getting in the trenches, you know, getting your hands dirty and, and doing the work and learning so much of it, especially when you do it early on, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked about sometimes being different, looking different is actually a power. It's a superpower, right? Use that to your advantage and that can be really special. We also learned about the power of moving on doing what you love, and how early experiences can shape you. So thanks for sharing all of those with us. Thanks for being an awesome, awesome guest. And everyone, thanks for listening again. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks, Cherian. Hey, thanks so much, Eric. Thanks, Corral. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on a Taco Tuesday or come join us for the ping pong tournament on Thursday. So love love it. we're getting that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enjoy the night, guys. All See right. ya. Thank Thank you. You.